you know, for a long time, I thought goatee was just spelled go T. Like it was a goatee. No. Like Mr. T. Yep. No T. And I was like, it was weird, but whatever. And then it was like goatee. I was like, because <gasps> I told someone once, I was like, you know, it's funny because goatees, they look like, like a goat. And they're like, yeah, that's why it's called a goatee. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Things clicked into place that day. <laughs> My knowledge of facial hair has become more integrated. I think I was like a junior or senior in high school when this happened. I was embarrassingly old. <laughs> all right is that where we're starting this i guess so (laughs) my anecdote on the goatee just goatees and daniel being uh oblivious to the Uh, reason why goatees are called goatees those stories i mean i literally just learned that too so i have many daniels being oblivious stories which is fitting because this week is about stories transition (laughs) this is mind pizza welcome back where we give you a piece of our mind i'm john i'm daniel and welcome to the discussion on stories so this is your topic you've been wanting to talk about this for a month and a half or something crazy like that yep rains are to you man (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is one of my first episode ideas um I find stories fascinating. I'm an avid reader. I mostly read sci-fi and fantasy at this point. Um, And not only do I love stories, I think it's really interesting just how much humans in general really like stories. We're hardwired to look for and accept stories. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with our biology and kind of how we developed as a species. Um, but I think it also says a lot about our psychology now and kind of how we interact and understand the universe. Um, so that was some of my kind of impetus behind it is as we're kind of talking about these big concepts on the podcast, I thought stories sound simple, but it's kind of defines how humans engage with the universe at large. Cool. So, um, what's your favorite story? <laughs> so many. <laughs> um, boy, I mean, obviously, the one that comes to mind um, is my favorite series by my favorite author, Brandon Sanderson. Um, I love the Stormlight Archive, it's an amazing epic fantasy series. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I went through phases with stories that i liked and i kind of i would embrace a series as a whole never like Mm -hmm. one individual book um so when i was a younger kid i i've always loved legos and i'll I'll probably bring legos back into this for a sec because they do have to do with stories um (laughs) but uh lego you know in the last two decades has really learned that one of the best ways you can sell something is to sell a story. And I think that is something Mm -hmm. that marketing at large has figured out. Um, But one of their best like story driven products was Bionicles, which was like a buildable action figure. When we were, yeah, like, yes, the, the, (laughs) the unofficial religion of Lego basically. Yes. Um, 
but it was really cool for me you know i got mm-hmm. you know it started and it ran from 2001 to 2000 not yeah 2001 to 2010 nine um, years really yeah yeah it oh ran for gosh. a long time <laughs> and then they actually rebooted it in 2015 and it just ran till 2016 and they they canceled it. it wasn't as popular at that point um i still have dreams of the day that they'll like reboot it again i would run out to target right now and just buy all of them just um, see, wait, we need to be like 10 years older maybe they're so like when we would be having kids yes yeah yeah, but but then the kids want to play with it. I'm like, I don't know. I want to play with it. Come on. Yeah, but then you get to play with your kids to play with it. That is very you true. You can buy I can't, one for yourself I cannot, and for your kid. I cannot wait to play with <laughs> Like, I hope I have kids someday. I cannot wait to play with Legos with my kids. Like, that is <laughs> like a genuine dream in my life. In any case, back to Bionicles. Um, they were really big uh, because they were this hugely story-driven property that Lego mm-hmm. had. Um, and, you know, them being from 2001 to 2009, I was like five when it started. I didn't really get into it till I was more like eight. But then, like, I followed it through till 2009, which at that point I was, what, 13. Um, and I think it was revolutionary to me because it was like this children's toy line that they had hired a guy to like write some chapter books about this guy greg farshti the author goes so freaking hard on these chapter (laughs) books like they were like here's the assignment write like a 100 page chapter book and he was like i'm gonna write 30 of them and i'm gonna get expansive with this like he like i didn't even know the term world building at the time Mm -hmm. but he's straight up like writing you know multi-millennial history behind this action figure line and all these (laughs) things and just writing really compelling character arcs Mm -hmm. and teams of diverse types of characters and really interesting conflict and unpredictable plot points and as a kid i was just like this is like I want to live in this universe that this guy is creating in mm-hmm. his brain. And that was, I think my first exposure to like a story can be compelling. Um, I'll never forget uh, growing up for whatever reason I would read like in the bathtub. That was my thing. Like my parents trusted me. I was careful enough with books that I would sit in the bathtub and read a book and trust me, I was careful enough. I never dunked a book. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> in any case, I distinctly remember I was 13, and they were like bringing Bionicle to a close. Uh huh. And reading one of the last books. And they unveil at the end of one of the last books that this entire series going on, I get spoiler alert for anyone who cares about this. Uh, all these like robots that are the main characters, they've all been living inside a giant, like planet size robot this entire time. Okay. And it was like this mind blowing thing that like, this was a plot point that had been years developing mm-hmm. that they were all like the like great spirit that they worshiped was the AI that ran the robot and like all these crazy things. And like, they're like, we've been like, Oh, these are like human size things. And they are, 
but relative to the robot they're the nano robots like they're the cells of the body that keep mm-hmm. it running mm-hmm. and like you only just now realize and it was like all these things that i realized i'm like i've been reading these books since i was eight and there were all these like hints that this is what was going on and you couldn't tell that that's what was happening until that plot reveal and all of a sudden everything clicked into place it all made sense you know like their compass they wouldn't travel north or south they would travel up or down and i was always like that makes no sense and then i was like oh my gosh one of the islands is in the head of the robot and a different one is in the chest they're literally traveling up or down the robot (laughs) like it was just mind-blowing and just really compelling and like really drew me in um i think from there i shifted over to series like um the lark light series by philip reeve which is a victorian pseudo steampunk sci-fi series um it's not really steampunk it's but it's just very like victorian sci-fi um young adult style writing um and I just loved those books because, again, it was really engaging world building um, and it had lots of illustrations throughout, which I still am a big fan of that when authors will kind of go multimedia with their stories and start to give you illustrations and other things that go along with it. Um, from there, I went to Philip Reeve, had an adult series called um, the Hungry City Chronicles. Uh, the first book is Mortal Engines, which got adapted in... <laughs> and very unfortunate movie a few years back the movie sucks the book's amazing um and again just really expansive world building you know this post-apocalyptic thing where they were revealing over time how they got there from where we are right now all this stuff um i kind of started getting more into fantasy after that and that was when like i read the aragon series and as much as it's derivative a little derivative of a lot of stuff really well told character arcs um and then i kind of kind of did random books for a while Mm -hmm. until high school was done you know the inheritance (laughs) book which is the last book of the aragon series came out when i was a sophomore junior somewhere around there so i kind of read various books between there um but then summer before college uh I was visiting my original hometown in Santa Cruz, California. I went to Bookshop Santa Cruz, and my mom got me a copy of Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson and said, I think you might enjoy this. And it was like a cheap little paperback. Yep. And I devoured this book. It was just so unique and just another, taking it to another level of characterization and plot arcs and... um just subverting your expectations you know brandon sanderson his fans call it the sanderlanch uh which is in the third act he just cranks it to 11 things that you did not see coming start happening but once they happen you realize that you should have seen it coming because he's been hinting it the whole time and you just couldn't tell um i think subverted expectation is something i want to talk a little bit about along with this um yeah mistborn ended up it was a trilogy i read all three books back to back each one's like 800 pages i read them back to back that whole summer um then i read the sequel mistborn series uh from there uh my mom gave me a copy of way of kings which is the first copy of the stormlight archive which 
is probably the most impactful book series on me as a reader and just as a person um again by brandon sanderson and it those books are always more than a thousand pages sometimes up to like 1200 and they just take world building and compelling storytelling to another level where it's multiple characters multiple points of view um maps illustrations but all the illustrations are like supposedly drawn by one of the characters in the book you know and things like this um so i think those have kind of been my various stages of book you know kind of story obsession as i've gone through my life um one many of our Someone from our thousands of listeners might note that uh, I didn't mention the Harry Potter series in there. I did finally read the Harry Potter series last year, um, and I did quite enjoy it. It's not my favorite, but I did quite enjoy it. So, but yes, as far as to answer your short question with a very long answer, those are some of my favorite stories. <laughs> um, do you have favorite stories or book series? So I haven't been really as much of a fiction reader as of... We don't have to limit ourselves to books here. Yeah, actually yeah, stories can be told no, many yeah, ways. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I totally get that. Um, in terms of book series, the last fiction book that I read, which was a reread back from junior high, was uh, the Giver series, because I watched mm. the Giver book. I still I have not read, read that series. I can give it to you. I have it here. Um, <laughs> um, which I read again after uh, watching the movie adaptation. Mm. Very interesting how like, they, they choose different different stories to tell. Um, yeah. one, one focuses more on like seemingly like freedom of choice. And one is more of like a moral, this just needs to be done. There, yeah. There's not... The, yeah, I, I don't know how much more I can explain about that. Um, so I am more of a music person myself. Um, music and then um, movies or uh, anime. Um, so favorite album has been in the last three years. Uh, Trench by uh, 21 Pilots. Mm. I don't think that's a surprise. Um, to great you, album. I have one of their sweatshirts. Band. It's a it's a great album, and my friends don't necessarily like it as much um, because it is kind of it's not blurry face. It's not no. normal. That's like, kind of the point. Pop, like yeah, pop rock, and, and that's why I like it. Yeah, it was very um, much like a a pivot response album to blurry face and the popularity yep. of blurry face yeah and I, I think that's why i liked it a lot and, the, and it had a lot of, of the, story yeah it, it's a lot more story driven like in the original blurry face album it's just the concept like mm -hmm. blur, blurry face being like this is kind of your darker side or yeah it's kind of this sort alter of ego whereas in trench they literally turned blurry face into a person um yeah. And then fill out this world that Blurry Face lives in and that a separate character lives in. And it made uh, kind of like a fictionalized version of the main yeah. lead singer named what? Clancy? Was that the name yeah. of the character? 
yeah, yeah, but I don't think Clancy is supposed to be the lead singer. Okay. Just he was played by the lead singer. He, he's the, played by the, the, the lead singer, videos. but I think the lead singer, Tyler Joseph, I don't remember correctly, probably, but from what I remember, he was saying that he sees himself more as blurry face than as Clancy. Oh, interesting. Um, but so I, I enjoy that. And um, <clears throat> yeah, on the movie side, basically anything by Aaron Sorkin, I usually like quite a bit just because I think he's really, really good writer. Mm-hmm. Favorite TV show series is The West Wing for that reason. Mm-hmm. Just really good writing. Um, on the anime side, um, I tend to steer towards what's called isekai which is this concept of you are a normal person living kind of a boring normal life um and then you die and rather than dying and like just being dead you die and you wake up in like this fantasy type world Mm. um and i think my favorite anime up till this point is one called re-zero which flips that kind of concept on his head because initially because usually the way that that genre and that type of series goes it's kind of like most fantasy novels of um guy dies guy joins the this new world he becomes the main protagonist of all the stories so like every fantasy like book series or whatever and this he is not the hero he is kind of a guy that helps spur action along but then also it has this groundhog day effect of Literally, if he dies, he, like, goes back to, like, different Mm. save points. Gotcha. Um, And so he doesn't know when those save points happen, though. So, like, he'll die three or four times. Mm. And then the next time he, like, respawns at a new point. But he never knows where that happens. And the reason I think I really enjoy it is because I initially, on the first watch, I empathized a lot with him on, Mm. like ah, yeah, I'm, the, I'm just trying to be a good guy. I'm trying to be the hero. And literally one of the, one of the things is like this girl that he's interested in, but also helping out says, I told you not to do any of this. Like, mm. but then if you read the fantasy genre, you're like, but I'm the hero. I'm supposed to do this. Like I'm, I'm the chosen one. Yeah, exactly. And I love how that just flipped that concept on its head. Yeah. It's like, no, you like, you're not the main person and, that yeah. sort of thing. But traveling back, one of the reason one of the reasons that I kind of enjoy anime a lot is the ones that I end up finding are the ones where it feels like there's like a larger community that exists. So I think I've mentioned this to you before of like the concept of, well, what if there was like a guild that people just went to to hang out? Mm. Like people will talk about going to bars and like hanging out there, but like more of like a family type environment and i think churches are supposed to be like that but they've kind of become this check-in check-out like Mm. i'm gonna go there sundays but a lot of the ones that i've seen and where i I kind of wish like it existed in the world is like um this is where i either go for work to hang out and meet with friends or this is yeah it's somewhere you can you can go and have fun with the people that like Mm. you enjoy hanging hanging out with but then also it can be something bigger than that. Yeah. Interesting. 
So, yeah, those are the type of stories I tend yeah. to gravitate towards. And I think that's in, in some ways out of boredom of like, well, this society that we live in is supposedly so connected. Hmm. It's supposedly so like we're the most connected, most informed generation ever. And yet I think the leading feeling across everybody that I tend to talk to is this feeling of loneliness or this feeling of Mm. like even more understanding that like you are just by yourself. Like there's not this Mm. larger community of, Hey, you did something wrong. You're being dumb. I'm going to punch you in the face, but I'm still going to be friends with you. And so like if the world doesn't give you what you're looking for, you look for it in stories. I think that's what a lot of people do. Yeah, mm. it's interesting because I've I've definitely heard a lot of people, you know, critique fantasy, mm-hmm. which is you know the genre I primarily yep. enjoy. I like fantasy, and then sci-fi I can enjoy. It depends. Um, and a lot of people critique fantasy less so now, but definitely you know like ten years. 10 years ago and more, a lot of people critiqued fantasy as just like, oh, this is escapism of, oh, you just want to ignore the world you live in and just go live in this magical dream world where there's really cool magic and blah, blah, blah. And that's why you read all these books. And I think maybe that's partially true. I think there's some partial truth to it. But I don't think it's the whole truth. But I, yeah, I think it's trying to see trying to understand what you think you're missing well and i i don't even think increasingly i'm convinced that i think it can be trying to find what you're missing but i think on the whole i think stories are and always have been for humanity the way that we actually process the universe and our place in it um Mm -hmm. and by the universe i just mean like the, the portions of our existence yep. that we're aware of, which for us now is much, much larger than it was for a hundred you know, years ago, a hundred years ago, or the average person a hundred years ago, yeah. never let the last, you know, 2000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in a way, I think stories like that can also be powerful where like, okay, maybe there's some escapism there, but I think it's also, it's yeah, it's unveiling. What are the things that we really long for um and maybe even can inspire us to find ways to to make those things uh exist in our reality mm-hmm. i don't know um one thing you said really intrigued me okay uh, when you're talking about the main character of re-zero yes and you were saying that you really empathized with him mm-hmm. how do you think empathy plays into our enjoyment of a story okay i I, I, just to be precise with language is empathy you have done that before um i don't believe so Uh, i believe empathy is you know i can say i you see here you see somebody get hurt and, and you, you feel that they got hurt, but you didn't have to experience that. Yes, exactly. Where yeah. sympathy is like, I need to feel what you feel in order to be here for you. Versus empathy is, I don't feel what you feel. Yeah. 
but uh, I'm here to help you through okay. what you feel and experience. Yeah, because I wanted to like say I haven't done anything like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you empathize. But um, I empathize because like I get my I, I can think that way. Like yeah. I can see where he went there. Um, empathy in stories. Um, just in stories in general, or uh, I guess just more like how do you think empathy? Uh, plays a role in how we engage with stories. <laughs> Any stories? Uh, yeah. You won't enjoy a story that you don't have an, at least mm. some amount of empathy for. Mm. Like, the character some amount of empathy for. Um, one of the reasons... Uh, side, side tangent. I don't like The Office. Mm. I don't like... TV shows like The Office, yeah, because I empathize too much with the awkwardness, and maybe it's a sympathy, uh, sympathy as well. Of I am so awkward sometimes that like I can feel it just mm. in me when I hear those awkward, weird silences, and so there's an over empathy there. But I think no matter what, back to your question, you have to have some base level of empathy to even enjoy the story. Yes. Because the reality is... If there's is, no characters that you're empathetic with, you don't really care. Yeah, if if you're... Okay. We're two 25-year-old guys. Yes. If we were reading Barbie Princess Adventure as 25-year-old guys, and we had no emotional tie like as a childhood or anything like that i don't think either of us would find it all that interesting well, the okay on on that note this uh, this is similar to an example i was actually thinking about of um this makes me think of at one point um uh when i was dating a girl mm-hmm. uh she liked the twilight movies ah <laughs> i not being the target audience uh had never seen those yes um, but i did my best to be a good significant other um and i did watch these movies with her i have seen all four um but i do remember thinking through and i i will admit uh they were more enjoyable than i thought they would be <laughs> would i rewatch them again no <laughs> uh was there some horribly predictable storytelling? Yes. Uh, of there was. was there some actually very surprisingly really good storytelling? Yes, I was surprised. But uh, as I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, why? Like, I was like, okay, I this is a movie, and I don't love it. I'm not going to say it's a horrible story. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I had, you know, my my girlfriend at the time really enjoyed these movies. And, you know, slightly more ironically as an adult than she did as a teenager. Yeah. But still, like, they were meaningful and mm-hmm. she really enjoyed them. And I was like, why? why does she really enjoy these movies? And I just don't. You know, like, I don't dislike them, but I don't enjoy them. Um, I felt the same way about the Harry Potter movies when Mm -hmm. I eventually watched them. And I think it was because it was this thing of like, okay, you are finding some aspect of some character in this that you are very empathetic towards. Um, 
And I think probably some of that has to do with the fact that, like, take Twilight, for example. It's like, okay, you have a normal teenage girl with, mm-hmm. you know, otherworldly other characters. It's like, you have a very obviously empathetic character that you can empathize with as a teenage girl which is when most you know when she was reading these books and seeing these movies where it's me as an adult male i was just like there are no relatable characters in this to me mm-hmm. i don't have a vantage point with which to engage with this story and i think similarly with the harry potter um movies especially the books i actually i did enjoy reading them even mm-hmm. though they're not my favorite series similar thing is it's like had i read these when i was eight to 16 i would have really engaged with these books because the way that jk rowling narrated the process of growing up and the angst and awkwardness of adolescence and the odd relationship quirks of three best friends in which two of them are male and one is female Mm -hmm. she just knocked it out of the park with describing all of those and had i been that same age when i was reading it i would have empathized so much with those characters and it would probably be one of my favorite book series of all time as an adult it doesn't have that same well, it was interesting because I had characters that I really empathized with, where I really empathized with Dumbledore, mm-hmm. and I really empathized with Sirius Black, yep. and I really empathized with Remus Lupin especially. I really liked Remus Lupin. Um, didn't help, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read Harry Potter it's at literally this point, been years. they all die. Yep. <laughs> all my empathetic characters died. Um, <laughs> but it was interesting for me that it was like, I think that was when I really started to realize, like, oh, okay. Stories are an integral part of how humans engage with and understand their reality. And empathy is also a huge aspect of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And empathy is kind of the tool with which we engage stories, which means that the same story can be engaged with very different ways by two different people based on how they empathize with it or if they empathize with it at all or even by the same person years apart exactly and i think that's even something that um i think that's another reason like brandon sanderson's books one of the reasons i love especially the stormlight archive is he has a lot of different characters and you get a lot of different viewpoints which means you have a lot of different characters you could empathize with and so for instance for me uh, there's a character named Kaladin, who I've historically always really empathized with. Um, less so now than I did when I first read them when I was 18. Mm. When I first read the first book when I was 18, you know, I had was given it when I went off to college. So here I am in college. I'm in this foreign environment where I don't feel like I know people very well, and it and it, and it feels, you know threatening not dangerous but it's threatening to your idea of status quo and here you have kaladin who's a 19 year old character at the time who's going through horrible life circumstances but getting thrown into a environment that feels threatening and and he doesn't know people and these kind of things so i really related with him fast forward years later i gave that book to a friend of mine um around the time she was starting grad school 
she empathizes with this completely different character named Shalon, who is basically a grad student, mm-hmm. basically an unprepared grad student. Um, really empathize with that character. I now, as you know, as I'm getting older, I'm I still empathize with Kaladin. He's one of my favorite fictional characters, but there's other characters in the series that now I gravitate to, towards more as I get older. Um, and I think that's something else that just as far as like a showing signs of being a really good storyteller is when you can not just tell a story about a compelling character, but, but you several. can tell a story about compelling characters. Yep. That there's multiple different ones you can empathize with in different ways. Um, I think that's something that you know, you could say perhaps separates, among many other things, perhaps separates a Stephanie Meyer from a Brandon Sanderson <laughs> is your ability to write multiple empathetic characters. <laughs> so. You don't want to be a werewolf, man? I thought the werewolves were so cool in the movie. <laughs> okay, that was one of the few, th- like... Or do you want to be a shiny vampire? I did, I... The vampire's... Oh, those those poor people. Um, yeah, I also my poor girlfriend at the time. She had to put up with me asking. I don't normally enjoy it when people like talk a lot during movies necessarily. Yeah. If I'm really trying to engage with it like the first time. Yep. But if I've seen the movie before and I'm I'm not necessarily trying to engage with it as much, I really like kind of having commentary going on during it so I can learn more about it. And so I was just asking questions constantly. (laughs) Those poor vampires. I was like, their existence sucks. I would want to die so bad if I was a vampire. Um, But then like the werewolves came on and I was like, oh, oh, whoa, that's really, that's a great concept. That's a really cool concept. And she was like, what? Why why do you care about the werewolves? I was like, it's a compelling concept and they built a culture around them that made sense um native americans being yeah werewolves like yes and that being like they like built a history into it that made a lot of sense Um, the fact that i remember this and it was so cool that they like they all had these like super awesome tattoos and Mm -hmm. then they could turn into these werewolves and blah 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 and all this stuff um you know, of course, I'm asking the mechanistic questions. So I was like, okay, so what if a vampire bites a werewolf? Can we get like a vamp werewolf? A were-vamp wolf? Like, can you be both? And she was like, they never talk about it in these books. And I was like, what? No one asks that question? What are we even doing here? You're such a sci-fi reader. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Because that uh, definitely is like more of a sci-fi thing of like yes. explaining it. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Way more. Um, <laughs> yes. Now all these like funny Twilight quotes are coming into my brain. Oh, I'm no. going to try to banish those to the darkest so, pits of hell. Uh, anyways, continue. And stories. Say that again. Empathy and stories. Empathy and stories. Yes. You you, you require uh, empathy. And yes. You and, need some sort of base level of empathy. Yes. And I think to take this to another step as far as like the the necessity of stories and empathy to the human experience i think we see this in a lot of different places throughout history um things that come to mind to me are you know i've i've read a little bit about how you know the the brain is kind of the human brain is hardwired to generate stories and it's 
kind of interesting to think about why that would be. And one of the hypotheses is that this was probably actually a trait that really, really helped early humans and hominids Mm -hmm. to survive. Um, Because whether it's in the jungle or savannah or whatever, uh, the ability to link certain phenomenon to other phenomenon and create a pattern in your brain was, you know, going to correlate to you're more likely to you know Mm -hmm. survive and have children uh so if you can tell that when the grass rustles that means that there's probably a tiger back there waiting to kill you um you're more likely to know how to avoid the tiger and not die um and that this basic system of pattern recognition and generation is the basis behind our ability to create and craft stories um, and that ultimately it's the same thing that we're doing now. It's just at a much higher level um, of cognition where we're now being like, okay, I'm not crafting a pattern to tell me when this happens, this happens. But now I'm crafting an entire story to help myself understand uh, the universe and how it works. Um I think at other points in history, we see this too with, um, you know, Jesus. He's famous for telling parables. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I once created a a meme uh, with the, like the Drake meme format, you know, where he's like looking away from it and then pointing. And mine was like, Jesus was looking away from like just telling a straight answer. Yep. And he was like pointing at telling a a random story. Yep. because Jesus was like, okay, people would ask him a question and he'd be like, that reminds me of a story. And then he'd tell this story about people who aren't real. Like he would just tell a fictional story. But it would illustrate some point. Yeah. And they're often very memorable. And it usually gets at a deeper point than just the question, the question that they that was were being asking. Asked. Yeah. Yep. And I think this is because, you know, I think Jesus recognized that humans... Uh, we're story driven and ultimately um, the things that stick in our brain are stories, not facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we even see this with, you know, as children, when we're learning to read, you don't, you don't hand a kid a basic textbook to teach them how to read. You give them a story and mm-hmm. it's a very simple story. Usually it's, you know, Bob ran fast. You know, there are these three word sentences. And even though the entire story is maybe 20 or 30 words total, it has a beginning, a middle and an end. And it tells some chronological narrative. And that's because, you know, we're teaching children to understand visual language through the context of their brains already expect a story. And now we're just teaching them this other mechanism as a way to access the story. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we see throughout history and our own human existence just how much stories have always helped us survive um and helped us understand our experience well i i think it also applies to just how somebody lives themselves yes. an example that comes to mind is i was talking to a coworker yesterday who got their degree in uh mathematics um at a pretty good college um but when they were in fifth grade, they were put up a grade level in math. They would go to um, 
the local middle school to do math with the middle schoolers for the first part mm. of the morning, then would come back and would do do math would have to sit in the hall waiting yes. for for the, the math class to be done for everybody else. Um, what they said to me was so they were terrible at the time math tests like the multiple or multiplication times tables things like that, but they were told at a young age you're good at math you're going to go up a grade. Yes, and then, uh, however many years later, went and got their degree in math. Yes, I wonder how much of that, like, implicitly was part of their story. There have been studies actually done on that. That uh, if you tell a child and enforce that they are good at math or good at whatever, mm-hmm. they will consistently rate better at it than their peers. Um, yeah. And if you tell them that they are stupid and that they can't do it, then they're gonna. They won't. Yep. Because ultimately, the stories we tell ourselves are some of the most powerful things in our lives. Yeah. Like I don't know about you, but my first intro to engineering was this summer between seventh and eighth grade because I was chosen as a like, oh, you look, you look, look like you would enjoy engineering. You're good at science. Mm. You're good at math here take this engineering like summer camp at yeah. this high school and it gives you experience in like what high school kind of looks like yeah um i don't know if that that's a similar experience for you but like it, it, of, it's but interesting how like th- those sorts of things those gave you of, a story to build off of yeah and then like my long story is i eventually left away from that um for a bit and then a year and a half into school went back and was like, well, this is the thing I'm good at. Yeah. Um, so I'll do it like it. Yeah. I think for me, actually, this is making me think of, you know, I can't point to any one point when I decided like, Oh, I'm going to be an engineer. Um, but actually I think everything that drove me towards engineering was stories. Um, uh, Star Wars was a big influence. Okay. Um, I saw, you know, whether it's Anakin or Luke, their robot hands. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that That's is so cool. cool. That explains a lot about going into bioinformatics <laughs> or not bioinformatics, biomechanics biomedical engineering and biomedical engineering. Yeah. Originally I did want to do prosthetics. Um, cause yeah. I was just like, Oh geez, robot hands. That's so cool. Eventually I realized I was like, okay, do I kind of want to make robot hands? Yes. Do I really just wish I had a robot hand? Yeah, that's really very, all. Very you much know? so, And yes. I was like, okay, I, I can't cut off my own hand and give myself <laughs> a robot hand. That's psychotic. Um, but I think on top of that then, you know, I always had that. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I wish that was real. But then as I was kind of getting into later high school, you know, I think I had teachers and I also had, you know, my parents kind of nudging me of like, yeah, okay, you're really good at science. You love science. You're really good at math. You love math. Um, and you're always making things, you know? And so why not? So why not be an engineer? Because yeah. engineers are just people who are good at math and science and make things, basically. Yep. Um, That's a pretty, pretty good definition of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, I think, is that everything I made, I wasn't like, you know, I had friends in engineering who were gearheads and, yeah, when they're in high school, yeah, they're making their own boat, mm-hmm. building their own car, and these really big practical things that they use in life. 
the things I would build were, you know, usually at the scale of Lego models. And it was always more of like, I'm making characters Mm -hmm. and stories and things that those characters would interact with and all these things. Uh, Because ultimately I was just building stories and building reality. Um, I think the thing that drew me to engineering, though, instead of perhaps becoming a a creative writer or an author, um, was that I think I always felt... Because I would do creative writing like for English class and I and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But I always felt this inherent danger in it um, that I would start getting drawn deeper and deeper into this world and this reality that wasn't real. And uh, I'd get deeper and deeper into the story in and this universe that I was creating and crafting and pretty soon it was like this means so much to me and it's not real Mm -hmm. versus engineering where i was like oh i can come up with some crazy ass idea yeah i can make that happen here in my world and it affects the actual world and it affects my world yeah i think that's also been part of why like you know sometimes i've had people be like oh it's, it's interesting like you're you're a massive nerd you read a bunch of books you love star wars you build legos um but like you've never gone to a comic convention you've never you know gone to one of these things and dressed up as your favorite character or anything's like this and i was like i have to draw a line in the sand of where the world exists between my world that is actually real yep and these things that I greatly enjoy, I find great value in, I find truth in, but aren't real. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I have to do that just for my own sanity. Um, I think an interesting thing about religion that I think drew me increasingly as I became an adult was that Christianity was one of these few things where it was this strange bridge where I was like, this is a story that I find compelling. And it's true. And it can be in my reality. You know? Mm -hmm. Of, you know, we find a lot of things, a lot of hero archetypes and things in Jesus. Um but he was an actual real guy. And I, and you know, I could talk more about my, my own reasons for my faith, but I think that's something that was compelling to me about the Christian faith was that it was a story that I, for a variety of reasons, desperately wanted to be true, which scared me because I'm as a scientist, inherently skeptical of things that I want to be true. Uh, yet increasingly I was finding good evidence that it was, um, and it was a very compelling story and it could be real and it could be in my reality. Um, and so I think that's something that I found very compelling. Um, so yeah, interesting. All that to say, you know, I, I think I was driven into engineering by stories and because it was like religion to me a bridge between the imaginary worlds that live in my head and the real world that I actually live in and that I could actually change and manifest 
something from my head into the real world with engineering. So all that to say, I do sometimes think about that. Maybe they're in another turning of the wheel. Uh, you were a creative writer that yeah. was rivaling Brando Sando. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could ever rival Brando Sando, How but I, that? you know, I, uh, you know, every now and then I've had friends make make the mistake of, uh, asking me about some story I had in my head mm-hmm. and I will proceed to explain it for an hour. <laughs> and then usually by the end I have to like decompress and pull myself back to reality yeah, yeah. because after an hour of talking about something else, it's like my mind is so far into another reality that does not exist mm-hmm. that I kind of have to be like, okay, yes, that was awesome. It's also not real. <laughs> you know yeah um so that's an interesting there's a window into my strange psychology <laughs> that's so interesting how like you get so emotionally attached to those ideas because <sighs> and it, characters it's yeah. weird it's like i have you know these characters and and people that i've come up with and stories that are crafted uh-huh. around them that have shifted over time but it's like it's weird for me where it's just like I they feel like real people and real characters. Yeah. They're not. They're just people I've come up with in my brain, but they're characters that I empathize with or otherwise find interesting for some reason. Yeah. Um because again, I think and I think they're all I think what's interesting to me and what I think another reason why I never decided to become an author was that or at least haven't yet. Um is that it felt a little self-serving because mm-hmm. I realized all the characters that I was creating were just different reflections of aspects of my own experience. And that, you know, when I was in a season where I just felt really crushed by society and social obligations and people, and I just felt like I could not get space to just be by myself all of a sudden this character showed up in my brain who was this, you know, rough, quiet, stoic, you know, fantasy character who lived out in the wilderness and, Hmm. you know, enjoyed people as a whole, but didn't really, you know, didn't need a lot of them all at once. Um, and then there were other seasons where I'd came up with completely different characters, you know, uh, that also manifested some aspect of my experience at the time. Um, I think that's something that frustrated me in a way because it felt very self-serving and it felt like they felt real, but they also at the same time didn't feel real because I could pull back the curtain and be like, you're not a real person. You're just a fraction of my own brain and my own experience. You're Mm -hmm. me. You're just some part of me, uh, which just kind of felt weird. Um, So it's weird when you're like empathizing with characters and then you realize, Oh wait, I made you. I'm empathizing with myself. (laughs) This feels weird. You know, So stories. Yes. 
stories. <laughs> I mean, the question I was going to ask that was yes. that I was thinking, what's the story that what's the story that has defined your life in Ooh. terms of if you could put it in <laughs> one one thing? Like for me, um, I can't remember if it's Shel Silverstein is the the person who wrote the poem, but uh, no, it's a uh, Frost of. Uh, I took the road road less traveled. Yes. Um, and I hate saying that because it's like the most like cliche, like I'm going my own way. But it's a very John sentiment and I get why this is meaningful and, to but you. But it's very different than like, a, a, forget everybody else. It's like, I am not like, I am not, yeah. I am not other people. I don't want to live like other people. Yes. So, yeah. Mm. Um. And the reason that just came to mind is because I've been working for those, yeah. People close to my life have known that I've been working on music for quite a while. And that has been kind of the sentiment is like, what does it mean to like be part of a society that is yes. not the, like, how do you live in the world, but not be of it to put it into more Christian terms? Yes. Um, so just kind of that, what does it mean to choose other paths and yeah. that story? So out of curiosity, yeah. uh, the Enneagram is a very flawed personality test system. However, do you happen to know where you fall on an Enneagram? That's the letters. Uh, it's the numbers one okay. through nine. Okay, so I am at three, a six, and an eight. Um, the six is actually is actually from my dad. Um, the three and the, the three and the eight are me. Um, I believe my mom's like a two. Um, but yeah, my dad is textbook six. My mom is textbook, I believe, two. But yeah, mm. I'm at I'm a three the, and an eight personally. The eight. I, I can I can see aspects. Of I can't that. remember. One's the challenger and one's the so eight. Uh, basically, has a lot to do with kind of you. Know, people know a lot more about this than I do, but it's basically like you know um, personal sense of justice and right and wrong. And if I see something that I don't agree with, I am going to say mm, something. Yeah, um, very kind of Gryffindor mentality <laughs> uh, to put it in Harry Potter terms. Um, three is very uh success motivated yeah. um mm -hmm. and kind of uh professional in the professional sphere mm -hmm. motivates you um so interesting which is funny because money does not motivate me i mean a certain level but like after a certain point it really well it doesn't have to be money yeah it, yeah and i think that's why it's important to say like success because success looks very different for different people yes um but it's interesting i would have i would have guessed you were a four um, what is a four so fours are motivated by uniqueness <laughs> and their desire to create something that has not been created before see i think you're catching me at an interesting time because people actually don't know like our relationship like we've known each other for less than a year yeah uh it's it'll be a year in june yeah well, i didn't realize it feels yeah. like a lot longer it feels that. like a whole lot longer but part of that is because with covid there was kind of this lockdown period and you you had a very similar experience yes. to me where it was like no social life yes 
essentially whatsoever. And I spent a long time trying to be creative in that type of environment and world in a town I did not know, living by myself, Mm. working during the day and coming home at night and just being super frustrated. And so what you're seeing in the last three months is me finally kind of hitting my stride interesting in that creative unique world yeah. is finally like kind of breaking those barriers and well, it's, good. I, it's something that i really admire about you both as a person and as my friend well, thanks. Um, <laughs> is that you are always the one to say okay this is the situation or this is the the current standard mm-hmm. let's find a way to surpass that or create a unique variation of that or or even question yes that's the way it is why does it have to be that way or does it have to be that way or is it even Mm -hmm. that way yeah Um, i think you're always finding some new way to find a different permutation uh, than what people are aware of Um, and i i admire that quite a bit cool well Um, thank you yeah i am (laughs) what are you on that i am a type one uh which are motivated by primarily motivated i should say uh by right and wrong um okay i can see that means we generally tend to be much more black and white than the average person um which can be horribly unhealthy um when you know not cared for well um and you know a lot of my my personal kind of struggles in life are balancing having a moral sense of right and wrong with also recognizing that there's times when you just need to chill and have fun mm-hmm. um but yeah it's interesting i i think as you were talking about kind of covid and, and creativity um that was part of what made the COVID quarantine very difficult for me and, and, and pretty unhealthy for me was, yeah, I had pretty much just moved here. I didn't know anybody. Yep. Um, I knew one person mm-hmm. and I was living by myself. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, my actual reality was pretty limited to a one bedroom apartment and one person in here that I knew. Mm-hmm. And I have a brain that is capable of generating very intricate realities that aren't real. <laughs> and you can imagine where that goes. Yep. Uh, you become where you're like, my real reality is so unstimulating and very small. My fake realities, some of which are really cool and really fun and I like to be in, some of which are compulsive and not of my necessarily conscious generation and aren't very fun to be in are frankly much more stimulating and you do that for about six months yep. and you get to the end of it and you're like i am trapped in this merry-go-round where about one in every eight you know things that i'm feeling are actually pertaining to my physical reality and most are pertaining to realities this that aren't actually that happening come up with yeah um and some of those were, you know, fantasy worlds that I was generating, but others were just, you know, again, Enneagram type one personalities tend to have um, this kind of inner compass, right and wrong, uh, but kind of a, a weird twist on it that we, you know, for, certainly for me, 
have kind of an inner monologue or narration that goes on that mm-hmm. has a lot of like checking you for what you do wrong. Okay. Which means that then you pair that with an ability to craft realities in your brain uh, and you get realities where you have these harsh voices that are just like you did this wrong and you did this wrong and, and you, you did never this did wrong anything. And you never did anything right and you did this wrong and you did that wrong. Um, and then you pair that on top of I think I would get frustrated with other realities I would make that were cool Yeah, because I'm not God. I can't make a perfectly seamless reality. Any fiction yep. is still fiction mm-hmm. and it has holes. There's no such thing as a story that doesn't have plot holes. And I would get frustrated because I'm like, I can't make this real uh, the way I can in engineering. Um, And I think this gets back to, you know, I think one of the earliest stories my family, especially my mom, tells about me is a telling story, at least about my personality, is when I was in kindergarten. And we had this assignment where we were cutting out you know, craft paper and mm-hmm. gluing it down and we were making apple tree. So you had to cut out some brown paper to make a trunk and a little green to make the, the leaves. And then you cut out some little red to make the little apples. And she had done one ahead of time, you know, to show us what it looked like. And then we're going out to recess after like 15 minutes of doing this, you know, kindergarten is mostly just, you know, tr- giving the kids tactile mm-hmm. things to learn and yep. keeping them busy. Uh, everyone else got bored with it. Go out to recess. <laughs> My mom happened to be, like, helping out with class that day. She turns around to find me sobbing in the corner. (laughs) Sobbing. And not, like, sad sobbing, but, like, angry sad sobbing. Okay. But I'm totally alone. It's not like someone else provoked this. And my mom's like, what, you know, buddy, what's going on? And I was like, I can't make it like, you know, miss so-and-sos. And she's like, what? And I was like, "I, I, I can't cut it out right it's not right Uh it doesn't look right they don't look like apples it's not an apple tree it doesn't look right i can't make it right why can't i make it right and it was a similar thing of i'm trying to craft this fake reality and there are holes in it because i'm an imperfect person Mm -hmm. and then this kind of critic side of me is like it's not right you know and so that's kind of pairs into kind of an integral part of of me and that i think you know i think something that we also have to be aware of just as humans in general that we're very very good at making stories uh we're very good and they're very compelling to us Mm -hmm. but we have to be very careful about what kind of stories we're telling to other people and to ourselves because stories are very powerful and they have the ability to really ennoble and really help but they also have the ability to really hurt um both in the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others cool (laughs) you never told me what your story was ah the story that kind of so are you asking like like if you could like an actual story that someone has told no like has inspired me like like a short like so like the road less traveled is a short story i mean it doesn't have to literally be just like one line like that yeah but that one line tells more of a a theme boy um and i mean i I guess part of like an (laughs) an example an, an example for me is like the the road less traveled but also stumbling through it like mm, i've yeah. gotten pretty lucky to where i'm at like hmm okay 
Okay. Um, I mean, non like actual established stories first. Um, you know, my tattoo that I have that says mm-hmm. account for the moment on it. Yep. Account for the moment is probably kind of my summary statement, you know, story statement for my life of recognizing that um, I think I'm increasingly trying to learn that I am a character in a bigger story. Um, it is not my story. Yeah. I am a character in a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that as such, my current moment, my current reality is a scene in a bigger narrative that stretches forward and backwards um, and side to side because I'm, it's not just my perspective. It's everyone's mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and so I think account for the moment is something that I often have times have to remind myself that this present moment is passing and it is happening in a context because I think sometimes I can get to this point of thinking that the current reality is reality it's like uh, the current reality is an aspect of reality but it will shift and change because life always changes and that the the meaning of this current moment is not found in the moment alone but in the context of what comes behind and what comes after and so in that way i can never in the moment know the full meaning of what i'm experiencing because that can only be found in the context of what is also yet to come and i don't know that um i think this pairs back to like what the pastor at our church said the other day of um god's providence is best read in hindsight and that we get ourselves in trouble trying to figure out what God has planned ahead. It's going forward. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that would probably be kind of the story I'd think of. I mean, as far as like actual stories, um, I don't know. Um, probably depends on the mood I'm in. Um, <laughs> I think there's, I'm always very driven by narratives of characters finding deeper realities and truths about themselves and their own nature mm-hmm. um, and learning, learning to not conquer their dark aspects forever, but rather realizing that like we can never conquer our darker aspects but we can't choose to fight those every single day um and kind of seeing these these character arcs of these imperfect characters being ennobled over time um and and choosing to really uh give and sacrifice towards things that they find meaningful Um, and so i think characters that i put in that category is like aragorn from lord of the rings i find to be a very compelling character um Kaladin from the Stormlight Archive, very compelling character. Um, I think when I'm feeling a little bit more cynical, I really enjoy stories that are more like um, stories where they finish where they began. And that perhaps the ending is less important again than the path that was taken. Um, and that the meaning was perhaps found in the path and not the... F- end and oftentimes in those stories the main character doesn't even necessarily understand that themselves so things i think of there is like the old man in the sea 
is a book I really enjoy. Not even really a book. It's a short story um, by Ernest Hemingway. And that one's great because it ends pretty much where it started. It's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. Yet at the end of it, the main character, the old man, uh, thinks he's lost. And he thinks he's right back where he started. And he doesn't think anything happened. Uh And I think for me, it's a reminder of sometimes in days and moments in life when i'm like i'm back where i started you know that was all <laughs> meaningless you know which in research that happens a lot uh you know i'm back where i started that was all meaningless you know everything i gained i lost it's a good reminder to be like yeah but what were the stories told along the way and were those worth it um yeah. Which I think can be extrapolated to life at large. Again, with, you know, humans. Uh, from dust you are and to dust you will return. On a grand scale, you know, this life, at least, ends where it began. And it's a little, it's, again, more important the path you take rather than the end. So. Yeah. The on, the, on the research side though like going back to knowledge you learned a whole bunch of ways not to go about the problem that is true so <laughs> yeah exactly so. but you also have the stories of jokes within the yes. lab or yes exactly things yeah. like that things that you'll look back on and go yes ah. <laughs> and i think that's in life too when we have those moments where we're like we're back where we started we can be like yeah mm-hmm. but you learned lessons <clears> along <throat> the way um and there were some great things in that that you can take with you and be like, that was genuinely good. And there are other things you can be like, you know what? Nope. I would do it differently. And in the future I will. And we learned a way not to do that. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I think that's part of my philosophy, at least like with dating is like, yeah, most dating relationships end with the people breaking up. That's how it works. Most of them don't work. But it's not really about them working. It's about what you learn along the way. And, and you know, maybe it does work and that's awesome. But a lot of it is just, you know, when it does end, learning how to be like, okay, what were the genuinely good things that I can still take with me and be like, you know what? That was good. That is a good memory. And I'm not going to abandon it just because that failed now. While also taking the other things and being like, you know what? Okay, uh, didn't love that. That was not great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will. The things that were in my power, I will say, okay, I will do that differently in the future. Um, and the things that were not in my power or not my fault, I will say, well, you know, that sucked. Uh, but that was out of my control. And so I'm also going to let that go. I don't have to carry that with me. Um so I think similar similar vein there. So cool. Trying to think of any other story related questions I have. Uh, but what's we, the point? What's the point uh, of any story? Or I don't know. Depends um, on how you take it. <laughs> Maybe that is the point. The point is it depends so, on how you take it. So maybe there is no one point. To learn how to take it or, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love stories that end with a question mark for that exact reason. 
that it leaves you the the viewer or the reader to decide for yourself what the meaning was and what the point was going all the way back to the first episode I th- yeah i think the first episode mm-hmm. of pal- par- palindromes and paradoxes and all that i don't want a second tenant movie nope yeah <laughs> all I don't those questions would not would get answered and yeah. i wouldn't like the answer that's why i love nolan films they almost always end with a question but how <laughs> same with like people hated the ending of la la land and I loved it. Oh my gosh, I love that movie because it ends with a question mark. Never watched it, so I it's. Can't. I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's a great, great movie. Okay. Um, and it ends with this question mark of kind of a, what could have been question mark kind of thing. Ah. Um, which a lot of people found sad, and I was like, no, it wasn't sad. It was just like a, okay, this is an alternate way this could have gone. Mm-hmm. And take it as you will. And it ended with a question mark. And so I think, yeah, I think perhaps that is the point is learning to figure out what the point is. Um, And that it might be different for each person. Resolution. Yeah. Perhaps the means justify the ends. You're making a face. I'm trying to think about this. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so used to it the other way around. I know. That's why I'm trying to be subversive. I'm not sure that statement really holds up, but I'm trying to get yeah. to the aspect of yeah. the, the path, again, the path taken matters more than the, the, then the end where result. You, where you got to. Yeah. yeah. And that I think like on life and in, in those stories, that yeah, I think it, there's a lot of meaning to be found in figuring out Mm -hmm. what what was the meaning of that story well you know and i think that's something that you have to decide for yourself Um, and you can draw on different inspiration um, and i think you know there's going to be better and worse inspiration there Um, but i think ultimately you have to decide for yourself you know what what that meaning and what that point is So, do you, um, what do you think about the idea of artist intention? Mm. So, an author wrote a book with the intention of you getting X outcome. Interesting. Or like X takeaway versus you read it and here's a great example. Yeah. A, a very famous band that I think anybody who is American at least would know, Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine is known for like really hard hitting rock from like the 90s. Um, but most of their lyrics are very socialist leaning and socialist bent. Okay. I think it was uh, Paul Ryan said that it was his favorite band growing up. And literally one of the, the, the guitarists was like, you missed the point. Yeah. Because <laughs> Paul Ryan is very, very not socialist. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Being a Republican. Uh, yes. You know. Uh, but yeah. So what do you think about art, artist intention? To use that as like the example. I think it is within an artist's right to have an intention to their art but it is i feel slightly forced upon when they do so 
I get that. Yeah. I really enjoy when authors or artists take the tact of this is a engagement between you and me and that together we are crafting this, you know, and that like with a book that it's like, okay, you know, Brandon Sanderson says that this where he's like, I am giving you fuel mm-hmm. and a screenplay, but you reading it, you're the one figuring out what it actually looks like and how the character talks and how do they sound and how do you pronounce their name? I'm mm. not going to tell you how to pronounce it. That's for you to decide, you know, and then he tells people, you know, that you have executive rights over the story. If the way you process this book, there's a line that doesn't happen. Then for you in your, in your reading of this, it never sure, happened. you can say in your canon that didn't happen or the way I describe a character, maybe they don't actually look like that. He's like, because ultimately this is a, this is an art and this is a craft that we're generating together, you and I. Artist you know? intention be damned. It's what the audience takes, audience member takes away. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there are limits there that I think it is nice to have some consistent themes throughout a story um, to give yeah. the reader an idea of what kind of story they're reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it feels very heavy handed when people and i think this is why i don't usually love allegory or allegorical stories it feels heavy-handed when people are just like this is the theme you know (laughs) smack you over the face with it and just be like take it take the theme you know it's like it i feel very forced upon there and i'm just like i didn't whoa whoa (laughs) i didn't ask for that uh that being said i think it it's interesting. I think on the one hand, sometimes society needs that, you know, and I think there are various, you know, social justice mm-hmm. um, movements that have used art as a part of their process that and that can be incredibly moving um, and that can reach people in ways that other things can't. Um, and in those cases, yeah, they have very clear artist intention. And I think that's a very good thing. Um But I think even with that, you have to be very careful because something where you allow the viewer or reader of the art to come to some of their own conclusions and to mingle with you in the creative act, that will stick with them and move them so much more than you just banging them over the head with your intention. Mm. Um, And so I think it's much more engaging, again, especially, I think, in cases where you do have an intent, it is better to draw people in with empathy and say, empathize with this. This is why you should empathize with this, rather than just be like, this is real, this is true, bang, smack them over the head, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think there, there are lines to it, but overall, generally, yes, I do feel slightly forced upon when someone just has clear artist intent because i'm like "Eh, i I want some freedom to come to my own conclusions about this i feel the same way with religion yes (laughs) 
boy. <laughs> I uh, don't love it when people are just like, this is the interpretation. This is the only interpretation. And if you don't agree with this interpretation, you're wrong. Cause I'm and like, then if you don't vote this way, you're wrong too. Yes. And it's and like, cause you I, are not again, a true Christian. And I tend to view God uh, as one of the best authors out there. Um, he certainly got quite a sense of humor. Um, but I think, part of the reason God's a great author is because he's an interactive author Mm. and he generates empathy and he engages with you and says, no, like I made you in my image. You're part of this. You know, this isn't just a story where you're a passive character. You are creating the story with me as we go. Um, And so, you know, God wants our engagement with the story. He's not just going to tell us this is the story. Deal with it. Um, so and yeah. so that's why I sometimes have problems in in religion uh, when people in any religion when they're just like this is the way you have no say in it this is the only interpretation and if you disagree with this you're wrong because again I just feel forced upon where I'm like I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's how God works it's not a very compelling story yeah um, everything you just said. 100% agree with. <laughs> uh, gosh, did the, getting forced into a corner, being told I have to agree with something yep. drives me bonkers. Um, but I think that's also just tr- true outside of re- religion as well. Um, working in industry, there's always talks of standard work, making things more streamlined standardizing on things making Mm -hmm. it more and more standardized um but uh a engineer by the name of jim keller he is one of the i don't know how to describe him the god one of the godfathers of like computer uh like processor design so he helped design the x86 architecture which is used on the vast majority of intel processors and most other cpus on the market helped design some of the apple silicon not mm. the newest stuff but uh all that he described uh the job of steve jobs at apple as being um a disruptor to that order because mm. um as you get more as you get larger and larger in an organization the force vector to order is infinite yes but the actual value in engineering and creativity is not in order. Mm. You have to be in disorder to actually mm. get those creative ideas. So to even try and generate um, good good stories, good engineering, good design, you can't be in like a highly ordered organization. Mm. So that's why he, he said he thought that uh, Steve Jobs was that was his main job as mm. as the ceo interesting which is interesting when you think about apple after steve jobs died where they're not as necessarily bold or creative yes. you, you think about the airpods the airpods are just the original earbuds that they put into like the yeah yeah into the into the iphone or ipod yeah. touch and just snipped the wires yeah i mean that was the joke for the longest time is look i got the new airpods and they just cut off the wire yeah um same thing with the apple watch it's not a new new idea it's kind of a derivative of yeah things before it's not groundbreaking like not 
it did not change the world the yes. way the iPhone did. Where 15 years ago now, the iPhone re- was released and nobody had a like fu- basically fully fledged computer in their pocket. And now 15 years later, it is crazy everybody to be like, does. I have more computing power in my pocket right now than the Apollo rocket did. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> well, I mean, the Apollo rocket, I mean, the most of the big computers probably up until the late 70s that people used. I mean, laptops were not a common thing no. until maybe starting around the years we were born. Yeah, 2000 so probably. Mid, mid-1990s, yeah. maybe. And but then, then 2000s. At that point, they were bricks. Yeah. So you think about how, like, yeah. But yeah, so back to the the force factor and orders and stuff like that is you do need people to be yeah disruptive disruptive and Into telling n- stories yeah. and yeah all that. Hmm. I'm not trying to say be be unique because you have to be because I'm I just tend to be that way. But <laughs> so I'm gonna throw out a question here. Right, row. Last week we Uh-oh. talked about truth. Yes, and we both agreed that we we believe that truth is not relative and that there Correct. actually is such a thing as absolute truth i'm glad you're gonna ask this question i'm pretty sure i know where you're going and yet we just said we hate it when people like artist intent is super heavy-handed yes and i believe that god wants our own interpretation we don't like when people are just like this is the way it is and this is the only way it is but then we also said we believe in absolute truth what would your response be to that I'm gonna use your the the example that you hated, which was the elephant of okay. Literally, if you if if, if let let's are use, you responding with a story? Let's use Bible thumpers as the example. Uh, sit, standing on the street and shouting that um, LGBTQIA all all those that group yeah. of people are all going to hell because they were born the way that they were. Yes one hand i don't necessarily 100 percent agree with him but on another hand like maybe there is some slight truth not to that like them because they were born that way but maybe because of the actions but i'm not there to say that because i am not god i am not the absolute truth the the side of the elephant that i have come to see encompasses some of the part of the bible thumper but maybe it is some other part. So, so you're going to go with the elephants and say, okay. If you are telling me that an elephant is only just the trunk mm, and it okay. is a only very small part, um, it's like trying to say, uh, like with the Bible thumper, my dad is a really mean person because he yells at me. And the only times he's ever yelled at you is maybe let's say 50 times in your life but that's the thing that sticks in your mind and you Mm. remember and that like sticks with you whereas somebody who says my dad is a loving dad and like makes me feel good like that's their remembrance of the Mm. like of that story and so i'm not saying that it's relative but i think that those experiences have some sort of validity to them and i'm there is a truth so I'm, what I'm saying is that I don't think that every person that is ever saying I am speaking as 
the voice of God or yeah. that sort of thing is literally a hundred percent true. True. Heck, even the example that I just gave with um, sin and LGBTQ community, like I have no idea. Like, I think that's important. I was going to say that off of that that it's like, I think that's what I always find baffling in those scenarios with a Bible thumper, you know, with, with that issue yeah. or with any other issues where I'm like, okay, um, you believe supposedly in a religion uh, that involves the fact that we are all made in the image of God. Um, I'm going to trust that person to understand their sexuality and their relationship with God on their own. And I'm going to trust that they are a fully functioning human, which means that they can figure this out. And if they want to ask me questions and hear what I think, you know, and how I experience God, sure. But at the same time, I'm, I think it's interesting, you know, when it's just like, it's amazing to me when you have people that they're just like, here's my experience. This is the truth. And I'm going to smack you it's, over the head because it's true yeah. for me. So it's true for you. It's difficult though, because then you like, you can say like have conversations, but like, it depends on the context. Mm. Like if it's okay, we're not recording. Like imagine we're not recording. We're just yes. talking to each other in a room. That's a very different conversation and having an actually like heart to heart, deep conversation versus talking to somebody on the street yes uh, yes and more and of, i think that's what i'm saying is that or I, even like in a church contest text because you can't well, i think that's what i'm be, saying is that yeah. it baffles me like with a with a street bible thumper that i'm like you trust your understanding of the author's intent so much that you are willing to yell at other people about it in public. I think the like, difficult part of that is that we read it as a, well, you can't interpret it. And they, and that is not how it is seen, especially in more conservative circles of Christianity. I guess I'm not and, so, and even, yeah. So, hmm, interesting. And I'm not arguing that you're wrong. Yeah. I'm saying... It's just, it's interesting that it's yeah. like, I guess I hadn't even thought about that, that the idea... That life itself is a story that can be interpreted is mm-hmm. perhaps a revolutionary idea for some people that some would not agree with. That gets back to my point on the order thing of it's way mm. easier to believe something that is black and white, which is kind of funny for, yeah. for somebody who's saying they're a one of it's way easier to believe that something's black and white and create order out of that mm. because it's way easier to live by rules like that than live in the gray area because there are those questions and concerns. Yeah. But it also requires way more effort on the person who lives in that more gray area to actually mm. spend the time to have either one-on-one conversations, like I'm saying, of really understanding and really having yeah. those conversations rather than um in per, in big public yeah. debates or conversations mm. because that's where public debates and conversations break down is it's very hard to, to love people jo- gotcha. when you're yelling at them yeah and i mean that's even the difficulty about like a podcast is if you have a debate on a podcast 
you, later on, I mean, we don't have Twitter, but maybe we'll set one up for this at some point of like, it'll get become gotcha moments of like, ah, this guy got this guy on this specific question. Ha <laughs> ha, they're dumb. Yeah. Welcome to the 21st century where we just clip everything and they destroyed them. Yeah. So it's difficult to have any sort of real conversation in a public forum anymore. Well, I mean, ever, but but even especially now. And I wonder if that does... Hmm. I wonder if that gets back to, again, we kind of talked about on the two episodes ago, the love episode, actually, how, you know, I'm increasingly, increasingly convinced that sentience, sapience is a collective trait. Mm-hmm. And we're saying that, you know, storytelling and empathy is a huge aspect of the human experience. And I wonder if that has to do with the breakdown of effective communication about tough issues in society um, currently is because we tell our best stories collectively. We are interacting with one another and we're not just telling a story and saying this is the way it is, but rather we're like, let's craft a story together. And yet with these forums, whether it is, yeah, the, the quick turn clip or whatever, it's, it's inhibiting this ability to let's, you know, it's this emphasis on, I'm going to tell my story rather than being, what if we work together to tell our story? And let's craft stories together, you know, and, yep. and that, and I think that ultimately that's tough because it's scary because you don't have full control over story that you tell with someone else and it requires vulnerability and it requires yep. that it's going to be messy and it might not always work the way you want. And it's, and it's not going to be the vision in your head. It's not going to, the apples aren't going to look just like the apples on the tree in the <laughs> example. But that's okay because there's meaning to be found in crafting stories with others and that it's a collective trait of humanity. Yeah. I mean, the the story that I think I hear most as like a collective society at the moment that like there's two sides of the story in terms of a fight is we're after we're screwed. We're like done Mm. on the environmental side. Like we have just screwed up. Gen Z is just not going to be able to do anything because all the generations before us kind of just screwed everything up and we're the one left holding the bag. Mm. And then there's the other story of, well, they're all just too lazy and there's actually no issue there. Like they're just generate there. There's just generation of this fake Mm. environmental angst. Yes. And then within that, there becomes, well, on the environmental side, envi- or EV cars are the solution. They're going to solve the problem. Um, mm. Once we get to electric cars, that's it. Or same thing with solar and wind and all this. Um, I don't really know as well on the other side because I don't think about that side too much because I... I think inevitably we just should move to a more renewable energy mm. just because it makes, I think, longer term sense from a, well, we don't have to, if we don't have to go work with another country to generate electricity or get gasoline for our cars, 
that makes life easier Mm. generally now it's going to be difficult to get to that point but back to the the story on the environmental side is you have those two stories and then on the generally on gen z it tends to be the vast majority talks about well we don't know what to do there's just too much there's this problem's too big and i think it's a combination of uh how do i put this paralyzation from well this is a big massive problem Mm. can we even doing anything and then not knowing where to start kind of analysis paralysis yes and then (laughs) ah, let me go on tiktok because i can't figure this out right now yes but then also there's the discussion of well which renewable resource rather than let's do all of them Mm. so like my company is working with a company that is literally talking about using like doing hydrogen regeneration from methane gas and garbage so eventually they'll literally just incinerate trash and get um hydrogen for fueling like hydrogen powered trucks like use internal combustion engines just using hydrogen that's a cool tech i want to hear more about that i want to see more about that and then synthetic gas from that gasoline or from that garbage and then guess what you're using that garbage for something rather than currently just having it at a landfill but then you have geothermal solar wind um nuclear maybe that's another resource that we really do need to like look at after but there's so many other solutions but then there's a whole other issue unlike lithium-ion batteries where is that going because there's only so much lithium in the ground Hmm. it's not a renewable resource either and the batteries aren't like the best tech ever. Like they blow up after like 10 years. So what do we do? Yeah. But I'm not saying don't do it, but it, it becomes a collective story of like, okay, in order to solve this problem, we all need to work together. You to literally need story. to have a whole bunch of people working on a whole bunch of different pro- parts of the problem. Mm. Which on the one hand, I will say, I think our society currently, it has never been easier to create a story true yes i mean i think yes. we're still in our infancy of trying to figure out in the digital age how do we make stories together um you know which i think is fair we're you know in in a digital infancy still you know our society has really only been in the the true social digital revolution and yeah since, since the 2000s it's only been like 20 years i mean the example um, has always been the printing press of yeah. being able to read anything yeah. that's ever been written and now everybody's been given the ability to write yeah and so now you have to get to the you have to figure out how how that how that gets handled yeah but i think that's a huge point of hope for us as we look ahead that it has never been easier to tell a story uh, and it's never been easier to hear other people's stories. Um, I think that's a huge point of hope, whether it's cases of the environment or cases of, yeah, these social issues that have been, you know, 
famously controversial uh, in the Christian church um, with, you know, uh, our, our yeah. Bible thumper example. But I think that's a huge point of hope now that we can be like, okay, no longer is it just like, oh, you need to be in a good deal of power in order to tell a story. No. Anyone can tell a story and everyone has stories to tell. That is good. But I think increasingly in the future, we will see more good come out of us learning how to, as a collective, tell stories together Mm -hmm. and come to consensus on what are narratives that we want to tell. And again, narratives are powerful. So what are these powerful stories that we can tell that can that can drive us into a better future? Um, So I think that's that's a that's the good news in all of this is that there is a lot of hope for reconciliation and understanding and you know revolution towards a better future all because of stories yeah is that our ending it's always it's always nice to end on a hopeful note I do like to supply a good hopeful note. (laughs) Well, this has been Mind Pizza, where we give you a piece of our mind. I'm John. I'm Daniel. And we will see y'all next week. Thanks for for listening. Bye.